This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. I was very concerned all week about how to preach this message on what many would think would be a difficult topic. Uh, We are in the Ten Commandments, and we are on the seventh. It is, thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, If you just wandered in randomly, yeah, you picked a rough week to visit a church. But uh, let us us start with uh, just being uh, relatable. Uh, I have to not be up here as a stranger, but as uh, a recognizable member of the human race. So I will try to... Uh, share with you something from my life. Uh, my wife and I, Rose, are very excited. Uh, we have an upcoming wedding in the family. We're preparing to celebrate uh, our daughter Mariah and her fiance Matthew's uh, wedding next Saturday. It's, we're excited. Uh, this covenant between two people is going to be awesome. Uh, part of a, a wedding, part of a covenant promise when you make it. You, you bring people together and you celebrate that and they witness it. Some friends of ours on our life group, uh, Matt and his wife, Danielle, they're going to be there to, to celebrate along with their daughters. And then we were talking about this last Friday night. And he mentioned that he was looking forward to the celebration, but he was a little nervous because he had also agreed to go camping with another group of friends the same weekend. So... Uh, He and his family will be camping out Friday night and then preparing to attend the wedding in a campsite and then going to the wedding, Um, which if it was just Matthew would probably not be a big deal. But his lovely wife and his two lovely daughters also need to prepare for a wedding. And you can see how that could be a little tense and a little uh, disconcerting. His eldest daughter, wise beyond her years, uh, immediately piped up and said, the obvious thing to do here is for the girls to get ready first and then for dad to get ready, which intuitively I recognized as a foolproof plan to blame being late on dad (laughs) because you had to wait on him. For some, that might not be a big deal, but I've known Matt for a while, and I don't know if it's something his father instilled in him or if it's a product of being a union worker for so many years, but being on time is important to Matt. He tends to be punctual. It is part of his nature. If he says he's going to be somewhere at an appointed time, it is important to him that that happen, or it causes him great stress and and concern. So to know him is to know that he likes to keep a promise of being someplace when he says he's going to be there. That being said, we're studying the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are God's wedding covenant to the Jewish people, the Israelites. They make a bunch of promises. And they prepared for that wedding ceremony by camping 
in the desert at the base of a mountain. So you're on to something. Apparently, this is biblical. That's how you should prepare for a wedding. Concerning that, let's bring up what we should be speaking on, adultery. The seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Again, as I said, I was very nervous about this message. I did not know what to say. I struggled and I prayed and I asked the Holy Spirit, please, Lord, give me what you want to tell the people. Tell me what they need to hear. You may not want to follow my example in that prayer. This is what I received. This is the portion of what I received that I'm not using. Some of these men were here this morning at 7.30 for a breakfast. If I told you all that God had to say about this commandment, you would also be here for dinner. We're going to focus on a few key things about this commandment. We will start by defining adultery. What is adultery? Is it sex outside of marriage? Is it some perverse form of sex? Is it pornography? No. Those are fornication. Those are a sin. And surely God detests those. He points that out plainly in many other passages in the Bible. But fornication is just a vehicle. It's the car that we drunk drive into adultery. So what is it that makes it special? Worse than. Why does it make the top 10 of all top 10 lists in the explanation of how we be God's people and how we bear his image? Well, it's because of the covenant involved in marriage. What is a covenant? Dude, you're on it. All right. Covenant is a special promise of future action. There are no specific lines in your notes today. I'm just a tour guide. You take pictures of whatever you think is worthy of taking pictures of. But this is important to us. A covenant is a special promise of future action. It's in the future, future tense. I'm going to do this. I declare this. I'm going to do this in the future. It's not past tense. It is not promising that you did something in the past or that you did not do something in the past or that you saw somebody do something in the past. That's false witness. That's number nine. That's in a couple weeks. We're on number seven. We're making promises in the future. Not just promises in the future, because we promise ourselves something in the future all the time. How's that diet going? How's the gym treating you? Have you finished that book? Well, those were to yourself. And while you might carry a little shame about that, it doesn't involve the community. The next one will be the continuation of what covenant is. It's a, it's a promise of a future action that we announce. 
which invites accountability. Think calling your shot, because that's essentially what this is. God calls his shots. Who here knows who Babe Ruth is? Does anybody know Joe Namath? All right. There's been a whole lot of people that could hit a baseball. And in all of God's creation, is there anything more forgettable than a Jets quarterback? Yet, we know their names. They called their shot. That's why we remember them. We're hardwired to recognize when somebody makes a future promise of action and invites public accountability. It's in our DNA. It's almost as if it was created in us. That's because, as Mr. Gosser taught us, we are pro-idol here at House on the Rock. We are idols ourselves. We do not make idols. We are idols. We are God's image bearer. We are made in his image. And in such, it is in our DNA to try and do as God does, to model him. And God does indeed call his shots. He makes covenant promises. Let's explore that. Let's take a look at promises and how God keeps them and how somehow adultery, which is, can also be spiritual in nature and, and we can go in, in 15 different themes with this, but in marriage between a man and a woman. Marriage and that covenant promise between the image bearers seems to somehow always be tangled up in God's covenant promises. Let's take a little tour for all the Sunday school graduates in here through the covenants of the Bible. We're going to start with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, God created man in his image and woman also. Then he felt like he needed to break that down a little bit and give us a clearer picture specifically on woman because she's special. And he gives us in Genesis 2 this image of creating woman. As, as a young man, I remember the story of God putting Adam to sleep, removing his rib, creating woman, and then presenting him to her. And in my mind, I saw God performing some strange medical procedure and then laying this limp form at the feet of Adam. That couldn't be farther from the image God is creating here. This is the first marriage. See God the Father for what he is. He is Adam's father, but he is presenting his daughter Eve to Adam in the first marriage. Immediately, Adam, who wrote his own vows, said, this is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. We shall be one. That was his promise, his covenant promise to Eve. God had put them together in the garden with the covenant promise that they would be his priests in his temple and tend his garden. That is your vocation. Bear my image. Be my priest. Tend my garden. 
What's the one thing that you should not do in order to maintain this covenant? Come on, you're Sunday school graduates here. Don't eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. When we visit that story, sometimes we forget to notice that Eve is alone in the garden talking to a snake. And that just one paragraph, two sentences earlier, Adam had said that they would be one. So he had dropped that covenant promise for a moment. And immediately their covenant with God was also broken. In the same page, we didn't make it very far with that covenant. And indeed, the, the snake had told her that God was a liar. The, the eating of the fruit would make them free and like God. And that surely God would not kill them. Well, God is no liar. Indeed, Adam and Eve knew death. They are not here with us today. Let's go on to the next covenant. See if we can pick up our track record a little bit. Noah. Again, Sunday school stuff. Rainbows. Awesome. Beautiful. I love it when it's Noah week in Sunday school and everybody's got their rainbow pictures. Uh, this covenant in which God is such a beautiful picture, God destroying all the sinful people with a flood uh, because they could not keep their covenants. Um, but there is beauty here. God, this is Adam 2.0. God said, I will not do this again. I promise. And you will be the new Adam in the new garden. You will take care of everything. And we cannot deny that sin is out of the box. It is in the world. So in Genesis 9, he adds, Do not shed the blood of the image bearer. Go forth and be fruitful and multiply. So there were two commands. No longer do not eat of the fruit, but do not shed the blood of the image bearer. Do not murder. That stays on the list. And go forth and multiply. Now, if you are any good at math or history, you can logically figure out that Noah did as the only man in his family on earth go forth and multiply. We are all here. He kept that. But we also know as sons and daughters of Noah that there is plenty of murder to go around. So again, we failed. Yet God did not flood the earth. What happened to our part? What happened to the penalty of death? Well, let's move forward. Abraham. Abraham, another big one. I like to just stick with the big names. And Abraham 
received an amazing blessing. Faithful Abraham is how we know him. Why? Because God made an engagement offering to him. He said, hey, come away from the land you're in. Leave the home of your father. That's what you do when you get married. And then he did that immediately. Because God had promised that he would build a mighty nation from him, that he would have many descendants, and he would give them a wonderful place to live. Well, that's a pretty good reason to follow God. This great inheritance. Yet, Abraham was worried that maybe God wouldn't do that, wouldn't keep his promise. So he asked God for proof. And God made a covenant promise with him. In those times, it would be clearly recognized by all the people what a covenant promise was. Because it wasn't just something we talked about in Bible or, or at a wedding service. It was something people did every day. Tom, if you and I were to make a covenant, we would be having some sort of partnership. Whether it be political, business, personal, whatever that partnership was that was super important. Again, this wasn't for, I promise to walk your dog while you're on vacation. This was for big deals. We would go down to the gates of the city because that's where people did business and everybody would be there to see it. And then we would get some animals, big ones, and we'd cut them in half. What is that all about? Why the carnage? for a little agreement because these are serious. This is not a joke. The penalty for breaking the covenant, as God explained to Adam and Eve, is death. And this is the way that we made sure we were both on the same page of how important this was. Indeed, death is on the table. When we split those animals, I, would, I should have brought a whiteboard so I could draw this, but logistically, if Tom and I cut laid a cow down and then a horse down and then a sheep down and cut them in half and pulled them apart and then walked down this aisle. There is no way we could logistically achieve that without touching the blood and definitely recognizing death. Apparently, touching the blood is an important part of a covenant and remembering that death is on the table. Abraham gets this promise that he's going to have descendants like the stars. God makes a covenant promise to him. In fact, he exactly has Abraham go get those animals, just like they're two dudes making a deal out in front of the city gates, and he splits animals. Abraham falls asleep while he's watching those animals. Those carcasses lay there, and God sends a pillar and a furnace down between them. Abraham didn't walk through them, but the symbols of God did. The people who were agreeing to the Ten Commandments, they recognized those symbols. They'd just been following them through a desert. They knew exactly what a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke meant. They meant God walked through that covenant agreement. Did Abraham keep this agreement? No. God implicitly told him that he would give him an heir 
by his own wife, Sarah. And he also told him why he was making these agreements with him to have these heirs. Later, just before the destruction of Sodom, God adds an afterthought and says, hey, just so you and everybody else are aware, the reason I am blessing you with this is because you are to be my teacher. It is important. The reason I'm giving you all these descendants and giving them this inheritance is because you will teach them to walk in my way. Because you are faithful Abraham after all. The faithful Abraham wasn't so faithful. He lost patience with his wedding vows. He couldn't wait till the engagement was over and he went in with Hagar and created his own heir without waiting for God to do it. Committing adultery and breaking the covenant in one, one afternoon. Nor did he achieve his goal of teaching his descendants to walk in his way. Certainly he tried his best, as all fathers do. But as you read the rest of the books of the Old Testament, Abraham's descendants do not walk in his way. Moses and the nation of Israel, that's the covenant we're speaking on for the last month and will continue to speak on. The Ten Commandments, God's covenant, his marriage with the people of Israel. So far, we've had marriages alongside covenants with God. This one's special. The people don't get married to each other. The people get married to God. God chooses them as his bride. He brings them out of slavery, pays the price. And he takes them to a place and speaks to them directly and proposes to them. He says, will you be my people? I've taken you out of slavery. I will take you to the promised land to freedom. Will you be my people? In one voice, they say, yes. Then they also say, you're scary. Please go back up the mountain and just have Moses talk to us from now on. And again, he says, all right, if you'll be my people, let me write down how you do that. Here's our wedding vows. Here's how you stop being slaves and start being my heirs. He writes them down, 10 commandments, has Moses read them to him. He says, agreed, agreed. They say, I do. Wedding ceremony, how's that go? Odd, because it's a mixture of a covenant and a marriage. Everybody says, I do, and agree agrees in public, but then Moses has the men go and get a bunch of bulls and heifers and cut them up, and he collects the blood in bowls. So we've gone from walking through to collecting. And then he sprinkles it on the people. He covers them in the blood of this covenant, this marriage with God. How did that marriage last? And how did that covenant with God last? It didn't make it two weeks. It was like a Hollywood wedding. Moses left them to go up the mountain and finish writing the plans for this glorious wedding and all the details of their agreement. He wasn't gone 40 days. They didn't wait 40 days to start sinning. 
when he got back, they had already taken out their earrings, created the golden calves, and were worshiping them. Did God kill them on the spot? Well, in fact, there was bloodshed. But he did not destroy them all. But that's the penalty for breaking a covenant. Let's move on to David, the Davidic. In fact, uh, you may note that that was the psalm we read this morning. There is zero communication on my sermon given to Paul or to Aaron or whoever chose that psalm this morning or to who chooses the music. She asked me two months ago what kind of music I like. I said stuff about Jesus and freedom. <laughs> uh, but somehow that psalm is a recital of David thanking God for the covenant that he gave him. The covenant promise. God promised David an eternal kingdom. He said, you'll have a son on the throne, but more than that, your kingdom will continue on and one day one of your sons will have an eternal kingdom. That's powerful stuff. Now, in this, there is no specified you will. There's no commandment. I think it's important to recognize here, though, that David had already done much to bear God's image. And he had been a good priest and a good warrior in God's name. A famous one. Mighty one. Yet... The implication here is that David would fulfill his vocation. God very clearly told David at the beginning when he sacrificed a heifer by Samuel and anointed him king of Israel, that his job was to continue his same job from before. He was a shepherd boy watching his father's sheep. God said, you will now be my shepherd and you will take care of my sheep. That's your vocation. David did that wonderfully for a long time. But then he didn't. When the sheep were off fighting a war, the shepherd was at home. He broke that covenant with God. And at the same time, invited himself to have a broken covenant with his wives because he committed adultery with Bathsheba. So famously that we all know Bathsheba's name and very few of us can name another wife. Yet God did indeed put David's son on the throne. And even though his son Solomon and David both failed in all of his line for generations of kings in Israel failed at their covenants with God. He indeed put his son on the throne for eternity. We are there. We're where we're going. We're at Jesus. It's where we've been going the whole time. Paul reminded me in the first service I needed to announce where we're going at the beginning so you knew what to pay attention to. Fail. Thank goodness I didn't make a covenant promise to do that. Uh, but I'd like to recall these covenants 
with the reminder of Jesus. Let's bring them back up. Adam and Eve. God said, be my image bearer. John 14, 9. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Indeed, Jesus did properly bear the image. Noah, God said, don't take life. Give it. John 6, 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. To this I would add... Uh, to our theme of adultery, John 8, 12. When they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he was without sin, cast the first stone. Abraham, he said, teach my way. John 13, 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. Indeed, Jesus was the rabbi, the teacher, and showed us the way. The people of Israel and Moses, the wedding. Matthew, sorry, I left the book of John in case you didn't like flipping pages, but here we are in Matthew 5, 17 through 18. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or prophets, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Jesus kept all the commandments. David, shepherd my people. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So, God makes covenants. He makes a lot of promises in the Bible. He calls his shot when he makes covenants. And then he keeps them. And we, his image bearers, are called to do the same. We continually fail, though. And where is the penalty of death? Jesus fulfilled all those covenants for us, and then he paid that penalty. He died for us. And in the same stroke, the way that others simultaneously broke covenants, they broke those marriage bonds and their covenants with God simultaneously, God, through Jesus, fulfilled those covenants and created a new one. And again, there was blood involved. Matthew 26, 27 through 28. And he took the cup and gave it to him, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. It's given for sins. Why? Why all this? To reclaim 
those image bearers. The name image bearer can ring hollow. A mirror, an idol. Bring that home in that Jesus showed us the way. We take up his name, not in vain, but to be his image bearer. And who are your image bearers? Those of you who are married, you look around, you've taken that covenant. Even if you haven't, you've got sons and daughters, for better or worse. They look like you, and they act like you. So claim your inheritance. Be an image bearer, your holy father. Be a son, be a daughter. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.